The following podcast is presented by Ensign Services, Inc., a company engaged in the business of providing contracted for administrative and back office type support services to post-acute healthcare clients. Ensign Services provides accounting, human resources, compliance, legal, risk management, information technology, training, construction support, and other such miscellaneous services to its clients. These contracted for services are available to be utilized at the sole discretion of its clients. References within the podcast to the company and its activities, as well as the use of the terms we, us, its, our, and similar terms used during the discussion are not meant to imply that Ensign Services, Inc. or the Ensign Group, Inc. has any direct operational control, supervision, or direction of the independently operated post-acute healthcare entities. All right, welcome back to our next podcast. And if you struggle with high turnover, this podcast is for you. I, I, in fact, even if you don't struggle with high turnover, this podcast is for you, right? And knowing what you need to do to maintain uh, the right level of turnover. I, I know a lot of you have, in the most recent years, become obsessed with trying to become better leaders that minimize turnover, take care of their people, and essentially start truly living the customer second core value. And we've done some internal studies recently along with the Gallup organization and discovered that BHAG achievement is actually highly correlated with lower turnover numbers. So I'm here with Carissa Podesta, VP of Human Resources for Ensign Services. Carissa, welcome. Thank you. Wow. It's good to be here in the studio. This is where the magic happens. This is our amazing studio. Yeah, exciting. So recently we delved into a book by Gallup called It's the Manager. In fact, I remember uh, Carissa was the one that was really pushing me to, uh, to, to read it in the first place. And we wanted to talk about some of the things that we've discovered. So Carissa, let's maybe start by telling us why this book has stood out so much to you. Yeah, well, I think, you know, it's the manager tells us something I think a lot of us know, right, which is that the quality of an operations managers and leaders is the single biggest factor in its success. But what I really like about it is that it it really walks us through how great managers can elevate the entire employee life cycle um, of an employee. And and they use data from their studies to walk us through. A lot of data. So that's, yeah, really, it's it's solid. It really is. Yeah, no, it's, it's a great book for those who who love data in our organization, and I know there's a lot of them out there. Uh, and what really what it does is it walks us through you know five kind of key components: how to attract talent, uh, really strong hiring practice practices, uh, why onboarding is so important, and it, it focuses a lot too on how to engage, grow, and retain employees as well. Um, and you know ultimately it it also um, talks to us about the need for a positive exit. Uh, believe it or not, because everyone's going to leave, you know, at yeah. some point. Right. Yeah. Um, and each of these events really needs managers time and attention. And I think one of the points I'd really want to emphasize, um, too, is that you, you just you can't really underestimate how much time that takes. It really does require that a manager dedicate a significant chunk of their time to making sure that these things happen with their folks. But the ones that I've talked to, I know that that really have dedicated that time, they just say it saves you so much time on the back end, mm-hmm. right? And that's where if, you, if you're willing to, to make this investment up front, the great life that it creates for you is is really phenomenal. In fact, I just refer you to the, you know, the podcast that I did with uh, Chase and Steve on, on Customer Second and the amount of time that they spend connecting with their employees and 
how they really just it gives them a lot more time on the back. So, right. so let's let's start with the hiring process and and a couple of questions that I want you to sort of address. What where do you see the biggest failures in the leaders that you've observed? you know, for the most part. And and what is the difference between the really strong operations and the really weak ones when it when it comes to hiring from your perspective? Yeah. And, and you know, takeaways we got from the Gallup study of our own operations and their studies across 191 different countries kind of tells us the same things that I've observed, which is yeah. stronger performing facilities have the discipline to say no to the wrong candidates. Uh, the weaker facilities tend to hire out of desperation Um you know, kind of, hey, if you've got a pulse, you've got a job, right? And and that's not the right way to hire. Uh, one of the quotes from one of the leaders that Gallup had interviewed when they were visiting our operations was, we lose good employees because of the bad ones that just don't value their jobs. Uh, a large part of our, our customer second has to be that you're not going to continue to burden strong performers with the weak ones. So this is a this is a struggle. And as a, as a former operator, I know this. I mean, you're, you're met with this you know you only want to hire the best employees, uh, but you have holes. You even have some of the employees that you do have maybe aren't the best employees. Mm -hmm. And a mediocre candidate comes in and interviews. Isn't my own W-2 employee, even if they're mediocre, better than, you know, an agency employee? And, and uh, like, isn't, isn't a poor employee the lesser of the two evils? Well, I mean, I think kind of what you said before, you're going to spend a lot more time having to manage and coach and correct a poor performing employee. Yeah. So when you hire weak performers, that's going to take away the time you have to spend for your really strong performing employees. Yeah. And that's where your real ROI is. And that was real. That was always true. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I mean, I, I kind of skipped your question, I think, is an important one. And isn't it better to have someone than no one? And... I don't think I'm going to answer that. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> We're going to end this podcast since uh, Chris is not going to answer any. Of my, no, I'm just kidding. Well, I, you know, I think the people listening to this podcast should ask that question of their key employees, right? The people that they are just incredibly grateful for. Sit down with them, um, the ones you want to clone, and tell them, listen, we only want to hire the best, um, but I also don't want to burn you out. And so you help me in this process. Um, when somebody mediocre applies, what do you want us to do? Because we, hmm. our goal is to only hire the best. But, I, you know, again, I'm trying to not burn you out. And, and maybe train them to, you know, interview, help be more involved in selection of the candidates. Um, and if you're not sure how to do that, I know, Clay, you've, you've got a podcast for everything, right? So We do. We have a <laughs> podcast for everything. And help sheets and things like that. <laughs> there, um, there are a couple podcasts on, on how to interview. And you can, so if you take some of these nurses mm -hmm. and say, hey, why don't you listen to these couple of podcasts? Uh, you know, a couple of both, I think Raquel's in, in both of those. Uh, they can listen and just learn how to interview and almost gain confidence in that skill. Right. And your HR resources are also another option as well who can help train. So let those folks choose who their partners are going to be. It elevates them, makes them feel like owners. Uh, it helps them have a more vested interest also in the success of that coworker and that colleague and really gets them involved and excited, I think, about 
the next hire. And and if they have to cover a few extra shifts and, you know, work a little overtime in the meantime to be able to get that person that's going to be a great partner, then it's yeah. worth their time. Yeah, I love this concept of uh, of peer interviews. And I, and I do love the point, too, that it elevates the interviewer and what it says to the interviewee, right, that, that hey, if I'm really if I do well in this organization, I'm going to have a say mm-hmm. in my future partners, and mm-hmm. and I just think all around it's uh, it's it's a it's a big plus. It feels to me that um, you know if if we put in this extra time on the hiring. Uh, you know, like we say, we save so much time on the back end. In fact, I'll, I'll add m- one more thing. In, in most facilities, a nurse interviews with, they'll have one interview. You know, someone will come in, make sure they have a current license and like you say, a pulse and, and then put them to work. And, and nurses nowadays really can get a job just about anywhere. I think that putting a candidate through multiple interviews tells them how important their job is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know we do this with administrators, right? I mean, you interview with a cluster and you interview in the market and you go through all of these different things and then you come to the service center to get the service center's feedback. And it tells you, boy, they really scrutinize mm-hmm. their people. They must only hire the best of the best. And, you know, I just feel like we should say, because some operators will come back and say, look, I'm going to lose them. If I put them through this entire process, I'm going to lose them. They're going to go down the street where the and I, if I was a leader, I, I would just say, you know, uh, look, I like you, but a lot of people have interviewed with you today. This is the most important thing we do. And we only want to hire the best. We'll be in touch with you within, you know, 24 hours or whatever your time frame is. But we just want to make sure that we're making the right decision. I think that gives them prestige. I think that gives them confidence in the place Mm -hmm. that they're joining, that it's not somebody that's just, hey, we'll hire whoever, you know, for whatever amount. That screams of desperation. And I think it makes them feel more relevant and more important. And especially if they get the job, they feel like they've joined something that is, you know, more, more special. The the way we hire sends a message. Okay, so let's go to the next step in this process and how we onboard. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, I mean, how we onboard, I think, really affects whether or not the new hire is going to have buyer's remorse. Uh, Gallup tells us that new employees don't just want a paycheck. They want a purpose. They want a mission. They don't see it as a job. They see it as a life they're choosing. And onboarding and orientation is really the facility's chance to show them what you're all about, right? Yeah. Um, it's it's your opportunity to share the vision, um, share the mission. And gosh, we've got mission in spades, right? This organization, uh, what we do every day, taking care of, of people. Um, so if I were running a facility, you know, I'd make sure that I spent a significant amount of time uh, teaching Caplico, teaching the vision of that particular facility. And shameless plug, your HR resources can help you do that. HR resources. <laughs> I'll also say there are so many resources, like in the, in the iDrive, in the mm-hmm. portal, the, under mm-hmm. best practices, leadership development plan, there's a folder with all sorts of Caplico trainings. And in the portal now, they have all sorts of different orientation plans that you can, uh, you know, adopt yeah. and then adapt to your operation. So there really is no excuse to not have a great orientation plan. Yep. So yeah, so I would say orientation really is the the chance, your chance for them to see, for your new employees to see how important it is for you. You know, each department head 
could take a section of it. Um, it could also be the administrator's job. I mean, I've seen it done both ways, um, however you think will be more impactful. Um, but however you do it, really, it, it's that's their chance for you to be able to show them what the mission is of the facility. Um, I think it's also a great time, too, to lay out expectations. And, and again, p- facilities do this differently. You might want to do this more one-on-one with the manager or do it as a group. But it's the time to lay out the expectations of that employee, you know, as a team member of that department. It might, it's a great time to review their job description with them, yeah. um, you know, maybe involve some of the other employees from that particular department. Uh, I also have seen them talk, spend time talking about the flag criteria and how that kind of galvanizes the organization, what it takes to achieve it. It's a great time to introduce the Employee Emergency Fund as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you've, we've got videos on that. So, you know, get a box of Kleenex and, and put on <laughs> the um, latest emergency fund video because that's always, for me, really impactful every time I see those. Um, you know, it just it shouldn't be all about paperwork. And the regulatory requirements. Yawn. And unfortunately, that's how it is for yeah. a lot of people. And and but if you're sitting down and saying, "Hey, this this is the flag. This is what we are trying to achieve. This is what your role in achieving mm-hmm. that is going to be." It, it gives them a sense of mission. And and I like you know you you say talk about the paperwork. I remember learning that that Disney when you you know is kind of a prestigious job at least in Orange mm-hmm. County to try and get to work with Disney. I know a lot of people that work there that. On day one of orientation, they don't do any paperwork. Day one is all about helping them see the the vision and the mission, the culture that they're joining. They don't want people to think they've just gotten a job, mm-hmm. that they're joining a culture. So, so you know, not that we can have a full day on that, but but at least spending an adequate amount of time to help them see the culture that that they've joined. And and really, I see onboarding as a key way to helping the employee overcome, you know, what what we refer to from Patrick Lencioni's three signs of a miserable job. One, anonymity, really get to know them and let them get to know you, break down those barriers. Uh, two, irrelevancy or relevancy. This is this is what we need from them and why and why their job is so important. And then three, measurement. This is this is the flag that we're trying to achieve. You know, here's where we are and, and this is what we need from you. And, and then just kind of saying, are you in? Are you with us? And I, I really love the idea of establishing that sense of purpose right then and there. Yeah. And, and Gallup discovered that the strongest performing operations just put a ton of effort into that, into that those first few days. And, you know, I, I, I'll seems be seems like a lot of work. It, right? You know what? But I, I have it's to tell an investment. you. Yeah. I mean, I would say. To be honest, most operations need to improve their onboarding. Yeah. You know, I, 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 we've seen it time and time again. Um, there are great examples out there. Um, I know you have tools, um, and Newsflash, your HR resource, can your also HR rep. <laughs> help you do We're that. You play know, some chimes every time we make a plug for the HR rep. Exactly. Yeah. Don't reinvent the wheel. You know, there's plenty of yeah. templates out there, and I would also say, don't worry if it's not perfect because it's going to get better with time. It will. Every time you do it, it, it'll get better and better. And pretty soon you guys will be a smoothly oiled machine. Yeah. You learn from your mistakes. And and uh, what, what about this issue of uh, when you're so desperate for these nurses and you orient them and then mm. you throw them out on the floor too early? Yeah. <laughs> Bad practice. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I would say um, resist that temptation. Uh, invest time, especially with your nursing staff, in making sure they get their full orientation, they get their shadow days, they're they're confident when they go get out there and hit the floor. 
If you keep succumbing to the panic, you're, you're just going to send them out there early, turn them over, and, and great, now we're back to square one again. It seems to me like it's the same discipline as we talked about before, having the discipline to say no to the wrong employees. Mm-hmm. You also need to maintain the discipline and resist the temptation to send them out to plug the holes early because, again, you're just going to churn more turnover eventually because they won't go out prepared and, no, uh, no. It's and we see this honestly a lot in new yeah. hire surveys and the exit interviews that we do. That they just felt that they were thrown, thrown out. The wolves. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Love it. So okay. So so now the employees started working, and the next steps in in the life of the employer are all about engaging and developing them, helping them to grow and progress. Where where are our partners failing there, according to Gallup's study? So. I know you've already addressed one component of this in a former po- podcast. You focused on the five coaching conversations yeah. that, that Gallup hits in their book. So I'm not going to get into that. Um, listen to it. Apply it if you haven't already. Ding, ding, um, ding. There's another <laughs> plug. Okay. But, you know, one of the other things Gallup saw was in the successful, strong performing facilities was linking up new people with strong mentors that can help them transition into this new job. Um, I know that, you know, you'll do a lot of email correspondence with folks when they're getting their turnover numbers for the month. And I know mm-hmm. you'll ask them, hey, what what's one of the keys to your success? Mm-hmm. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you often hear we implemented a mentor program. Yeah, yeah. The mentor programs really, I, I'm a big fan of them. And I know some facilities incentivize mentors um, when the employee stays on for six months, maybe in then a year. Uh, mentors are sometimes given a little budget to take that new employee out to lunch the first week, check up on them. You know, they'll have little calendars of follow-up. Um, when a mentor is given a bonus for retention, they make sure that employee is happy, um, that that new employee, you know, has somebody they can go to. And bonus, the new employee now has a, a friend at work, you know, a built-in friend at work. Yeah. Um, Gallup's findings were also that if an employee has a best friend at work, they're seven times, I think that's right, seven times more likely to be engaged hmm. than other employees that don't yeah. have somebody there who they consider a friend. I mean, you think about workplace. that. It's just, it's easier to show up to work when you know that you're there with somebody that you connect with mm-hmm. and that you have that. And, and, and to think, you know, when you're, when you're training mentors or assigning people to be mentors, it seems like it really elevates them. Too, right. right. This this is their path of progression. I, yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of the mentoring programs that I've seen, and it does make me think of a, an example outside of healthcare. I I changed high schools in between my sophomore and my junior year, and I, I went from uh, one in in L.A. County to one in South Orange County, and I remember you know day one, not knowing anybody. Wondering who I was going to eat lunch with, you know, just having that kind of scary, almost pit in my stomach uh, of being alone. And and I think that's probably what the employees go through, mm-hmm. right? They're starting a new job. All of these people are new. Maybe even in some cases they're new in this career. I mean, all these things that add upon them. And now they don't have anybody to eat lunch with. There's nobody they feel comfortable asking questions to. And they have one person that that is is reaching out and and helping them you know and the, and there may be a cost to a, a mentorship program but it just seems like if it's offsetting the huge cost of turnover that uh it'd be so worth it i i much prefer to spend money on things like mentor programs than on 
you know, recruiting and signing bonus gimmicks that don't really solve the underlying problem of your turnover. Right. They're just right. the patch solutions. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, I think, um, you know, getting off mentor programs, looking at other things that great facilities do, I think it's um, having a real strong emphasis and, and record of employee development is something that we see. Um, I'm talking about leadership training, um, helping that employee achieve their educational goals. There's tuition reimbursement help um, that you can give. You can do flexible scheduling with them so they can, you know, make it to their classes or even the skills training that we have on our LMS. And, and I'm not talking about, you know, the annual refresher compliance training. Right, not the checklist really, stuff. Yeah, but, you know, the, how to get certified, how to get specialized knowledge in certain areas. Um, you know, if a manager doesn't know the career goals of their direct reports, they need to ask. Like like yesterday. <laughs> yeah, you know, that reminds me of what uh, what Chase and I talked about in, in his, that they said at Meadowview they have goals, um, they have positive turnover goals, right? That that they want to develop their employees so well that they, they mm-hmm. even lose some mm-hmm. to promotions. Maybe they go to affiliated operations, or even if they don't go to affiliated operations, if it's progression, they mark that as positive turnover. Right. And and what it does is that develops an excitement or or a feeling amongst everybody there in the facility that, hey, they care about my development here. And right. it's one of the reasons why their turnover is, you know, always below 20%. Right. Right. Um, you know, I noticed in in one of the case studies Gallup did in a high performing facility, they they interviewed an employee, and and this employee said of their leader, "Here's the quote: She is really amazing, willing to give me all the training I need. She is more of a leader than a boss. They are not telling you to do something that they are not willing to do." Mm-hmm. And then I've also seen comments about how the strongest performers are really good with positive accountability, which right. we've talked about in a lot of podcasts. So people feel recognized in little ways through cards or thank yous or strong moments of truth, culture, you know, recognizing those things that are that are going right in the facility. Um, I, I just, I can't reiterate enough. I think that positive accountability is one of the most powerful tools in a leader's tool chest that isn't used enough. Absolutely. I mean, to me, recognition by a manager or a leader of a job well done um, or an employee's talent or strength is it's a a zero expense reward. I wonder why we don't do it then. I wonder. It seems like such an easy, cheap way. I know. I know. It, It is incredible because it builds their confidence. It improves productivity. Studies show us it does. Um, and the cool thing about recognizing employees is that the manager also becomes more engaged. And yeah. when managers regularly recognize employees, other employees will start recognizing each other. And that's when engagement just really goes off the charts. Um, it, it really doesn't take a lot of time or effort either. And the more you strategically recognize people, the more you're going to get them to think about the things and do the things that you really need them to do. That's what's really cool about it. Yeah. It's really thinking through, hey, I need that behavior. I need that performance. That's what I'm going to recognize. Um, it reduces manager stress. Uh, it improves, like I said, manager's engagement. And, you know, I'll be honest, you know, I will do this too. I'll say I'm too busy. Mm-hmm. I don't have enough time to recognize my employees. And, you know, the, it's, it's, it's ironic because 
I probably need to do it more if I feel like I'm that busy because I probably am not getting the engagement and the productivity out of my team that I need had I been doing it more often. Yeah, I think, again, I'm probably botching the statistic, but it's Gallup and, and Gallup said that, that something like 83% of managers think they give an adequate amount of praise, whereas 17% of employees feel like they right. receive an adequate amount of praise. There's a, there's a huge discrepancy. And... And yet, if we were so much better in the positive accountability, the negative accountability becomes so much easier mm-hmm. because you're so clear on the on the positive things that they're doing well that every once in a while when you need to throw something else in, they have the confidence to receive it. Yep. No, it, it's critical. It's, it's really critical. And, you know, you just have to spend a few minutes a day on it. Honestly, you have yeah. to rewire your brain and, and you have to make it a focus to try and spot successes in the workplace. And they're everywhere. They really yeah. are if you start looking for them. And even if you don't observe it, Listen to other employees. Listen to your residents. They're going to bring up something that you can then, you know, provide that feedback, that positive feedback to. It the seems employee. like if you just make that a habit, like that, yeah. that then just becomes part of your nature, and it's not even something you have to focus on because you just do it. And yeah, yeah, it seems no. Like a big it, it, one. And Gallup says, right? Employees today want more timely, meaningful feedback. Yeah. They don't want the annual performance review. They want more ongoing coaching of their job. And, um, you know, the stronger performing employees you'll find receive consistent feedback. And it's really just, you know, like we talked about focusing on the strengths, but when necessary, you have to give the clear guidance, like you said, you know, on how an employee isn't meeting expectations. And, um, you know, we've noticed in, in the work that we do with the buildings that there are some managers that are really bad at accountability yeah. discussions. And I know it can be hard, right? It can be tough. Um, I but, mean, in some cases, they're not even doing annual reviews, right? Right. At, which is, to me, uh, we, we've got to take the A out of Caplico if we're not even doing that. Right. But if we're just doing annual reviews, I feel like we're still failing in the A, right? Yes. That, that these need to be regular check-ins and regular discussions so that the annual review really is just a formality right. that that uh, you know you want to make sure is taken care of right so again you're I'm you're I'm sure you're all out there at varying levels I don't think there's anybody out there that's giving too much accountability no <laughs> right well, and, and the great say. majority is 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 probably the opposite where they're just not having the accountability discussions right. frequently enough right and it's so critical right because you're either going to make them better or if you do need to make a change. If you do need to exit that person, you're, you will have sort of built the foundation for why that change needs to happen. Yeah. And it makes that go easier. You know, it never never goes great. But, you know, hopefully if you've built those blocks with them, that when the time comes, they'll at least, yeah. you know, understand why the change had to be made. And I'm going to say it again. HR resources can help Bing. with tough conversations, um, with exits, things like that. So, yeah. you know, they're available. Do you know, it, it reminds me of uh, the, the saying Patrick Lencioni says in, in one of his trainings. He says that, uh, you know, he understands that firing people is, is often necessary. He said, but often firing someone is the last act of cowardice, meaning we have hesitated to have these tough mm. conversations with people along the way. We've 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 not had those conversations. Mm-hmm. The person never changed because, frankly, they didn't mm-hmm. know what they needed to do to change. And then we just make the change. 
And if we're willing to have those tough conversations along the way, we might be able to save might a lot be able more to people. Save them. Absolutely. <laughs> and I, I uh, all right. So let's let's jump into that last one then how, about how we exit employees, what, whether they quit or or whether we terminate them. What what do you see that that for the most part our, our partners are doing wrong here? Yeah, I mean, no matter how the employee exits, right? Um, regardless of the circumstances, we need to make sure it's positive. Right. It's a positive experience. It's not only because we care about them, but, you know, we live in a day of social media and that person exiting is either going to be an ambassador for your operation. Right. Or somebody who just tears you down. Usually I've online. I've seen that on social media. Yeah. yeah well, I just left this company. It was the worst experience. Or, yeah. yeah that's yeah. true. And, and think about it. A good chunk of your candidates and even the family members of potential residents, they're going to Google your operation, and yeah. they're going to see all of this. So, you know, disgruntled employee comments aren't going to be helping the facility's reputation at all. And, you know, I, I think um, what we see in HR as we help the operations deal with the aftermath of a tough term is really that, to your point, we just didn't effectively communicate, right, the mm-hmm. reasons we might be heading down this road of having to turn that person over. So it is possible to have a tough conversation, even if we terminate them or even if they quit. You're saying there's ways you can do it so that they still remain an advocate for the organization. I think so. I think so. I mean, listen, there's always going to be yeah. one person that no matter what you say, they'll never agree with you. And yeah. they disagree and their perception is just right. completely different from yours, right? There's always going to be those folks. But I don't, for me, you know, I'm continually surprised that if you do take your time, you have been good about doing the PIP, doing the written discipline along the way, that when that day comes, they're more likely to understand. And I think when that day comes, too, you have to really put be thoughtful about it. You mm-hmm. have to make sure that, you know, you're ready. I, I always say put together some talking points. Um, be ready. Be ready. Prepare for the worst. Prepare for them to break down in tears, to scream, to cry. <laughs> and just be ready to stay with it and stay with them until they feel like they're ready to move on. I, I think they deserve yeah. that. I think every employee deserves a conversation where their manager is is not looking at their phone right. or, you know, uh, looking away. I mean, it's going to be uncomfortable, but I think you stay with it and you answer their questions. And if it takes an hour, it takes an hour. If it takes an hour and a half, it takes an hour and a half. You know, and I always say, do it in a way that you would want it done to you, right? Do it at the end of the day if you know they have a lot of personal belongings and, and they need to, you know, exit in a way where they can feel like their head's held up high. If they want to let people know that they've decided to move on, let them give that message if Which they're comfortable. Which makes me think, too, it's not something you should squeeze in between two appointments, right? No. And, and that it's something that you've got. I, I just, my very first experience with this, uh, you know, I was I was 25 years old running my first facility and, and I had a great lady, great D.O.N. that had been there for 17 years, but she wasn't right for that position. I remember I ended up spending about four days chatting with her, about four hours each day. And okay, let's talk tomorrow. Let's talk tomorrow some more. And eventually, you know, realized she was not on the right bus, not in the right seat. It was a long time. It was a long conversation. She did come back a couple weeks later after finding another job. And I just remember this. She wrapped her arms around mm-hmm. me. She said, thank you so much for taking the time. I'm happy in the position that I'm in now. I see now that I was not in the right. And it just was a great, you know, they don't always end like that. I'm, no. I'm not saying that's yeah. how it is every time, but it really taught me 
that this this is a real person that my goal really should be her his or her happiness and and so at the same time i add in there that that I spent a lot of time talking about the great things that she's added to the facility, which yeah. may sound counterintuitive to a termination, Mm-mm. but I felt like that was okay. Yeah. No, it absolutely <laughs> is okay. It's okay to let them know that you're grateful for what they did for yeah. the building. I just think where we get in trouble is that it's uncomfortable for us. Yeah. And we don't, we're not thoughtful about the way we do it. And to your point, your example, right? You stayed with it. Even if it was yeah. uncomfortable until you because got we're so hurt. focused on our own discomfort, our own, right, right. not recognizing this might be one of the worst days of their life. It is one of the worst days of their life. Yeah, absolutely, it absolutely is. And I know we all, when we have to do it right, we're sick to our stomachs. We don't sleep well the night before either, yeah. but it's part of our job, and we need to do it in the right way. Everyone deserves that exit that's that's done consistent with our culture. Yeah, that's. Uh, I, I hope that's something that we take into account because, uh, again, whether or not people are with us, we, we want them to be happy if if we are who we say we are. Love love one another doesn't, uh, you know, uh, quit at the at, at the doors of our affiliation, right? Mm-hmm. So let me finish with this. I, I don't know how many of you out there have listened or watched the movie uh, Moneyball from from years ago, and it's about the the Oakland A's. They hired this statistician to help turn their team around, but they didn't have a lot of money to pay the best players. So so this statistician helped them see all the things that they really should be looking for in order to maximize their effectiveness. What what are the stats that really mattered? And Gallup did something similar that's in this book, It's the Manager, and they wanted to find what were the most important questions to ask in order to know if employees were going to be engaged or not. So maybe kind of in conclusion, can you can you talk about their findings and and what we need to be asking ourselves. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 20 years ago, Gallup developed what they yeah. call their core statements to measure employee perception and engagement. So these are the questions that your most engaged employees are going to strongly agree with. Your average or your poor performers are just going to answer neutrally or negatively. So the answer to these questions are largely going to determine... How, how successful you okay that particular employee is so okay. number one i know what is expected of me at work right and hopefully we're establishing that at the so orientation if they answer yes yeah i know what's expected of me at work mm-hmm. that's going to be a huge indicator of whether or not okay yeah exactly and uh, number two was i have the materials and equipment i need to do my work well again we're hopefully we're going through all of that at the onboarding and orientation stage i have the opportunity to do what i do best every day and that's hopefully we're figuring that out during our coaching discussions with them. Are they in the right role or not? Or yeah. are we developing them to be able to go into their dream role? So they're engaged now, knowing that they're working their way towards yeah. their dream role. Okay. In the last seven days, I've received praise or recognition. Hmm. Uh, number five was someone at work seems to care about me as a person, right? So maybe that mentor, or that best friend at work, my manager. Number six was someone at work encourages my development. So going back to, you know, making sure that you're being that coach and you're helping them with their career progression. And that's just a really big one even nowadays with millennials, right? Like that's Huge. what they look for so much is, is are, Vanessa, are you a millennial? Is that true? Mm-hmm. You just somebody looking out for your mm-hmm. progression and development. Okay. Number seven was at work, my opinions seem to count. So hopefully if we're having those ongoing coaching conversations and discussions, asking our team if they mm-hmm. want to be part of the interviewing process, how we hire people, right? That's how we, you know, help them understand that we value them. 
Number eight was my company's mission and purpose makes me feel my job is important. Mm -hmm. Again, Caplico, your vision, your mission there at your particular building, that's what's going to help establish that. My peers are committed to doing quality work. Mm. I thought about that one last night and thinking, you know, if we're getting people mentoring each other, if we're getting them involved in the hiring process, they're going to have that feeling that, that we're all that, on the same team. That discipline to say no to the wrong people, how essential that is, right? right. I know that they're just going to bring in people that care like I do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, because I, yeah. I help mentor them and I help select them. Yeah. Number 10 is I have a best friend at work. We talked about that one. Uh, number 11, in the last six months, someone has talked to me about my progress. Hmm. Again, coaching, developing. And the 12th core statement was in the last year, I've had opportunities to grow. So either, you know, we're doing that in the coaching conversations or we're making sure that there are opportunities that are getting published, announced in the building and that people feel like I have a shot at moving up. You know, it's funny, as you went through that list, I, I wasn't even, I wasn't following it as a, as a leader and making sure my teams, you know, feel this way. I was thinking about it for me, and I think, yeah, that does make me happy at work. Yeah, that does make, my opinions seem to count. When somebody really, even if they debate my opinion, the fact that they took it seriously, that mm-hmm. means a lot to me, and that elevates me. And mm-hmm. uh, I think these are all really great questions, and, and uh I think that operations need to be better with the core value of customer second. Some out there are doing some amazing things that you can look to. Uh, They've really captured the essence of it. But honestly, there are a lot based on turnover numbers that I see that, that need to get more on board. And I'm hoping that anybody listening today... You know, if nothing else, uh, from from a lot of your plugs, hey, make sure we're reaching out to the resources that we have, the HR resources, mm-hmm. the the resources in the iDrive and on the portal. There really is no excuse to not be successful in this customer second if we mm-hmm. if we just make the effort. So, mm-hmm. Krista, thanks for your time. Yeah, and, thanks uh, for having hope, me. Yeah, we'll have to do this again sometime. Sounds good. Thanks, Clay. Okay.